How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 156 of the podcast that is sweeping America, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. People, when I tell you that I have a great show for you today, I have an unbelievable show lined up for you guys today. So here's the deal. Later in the show, joining me, Sonny Vaccaro, one of the iconic names in all of basketball. I would argue one of the biggest names in the history of grassroots basketball. And again, my point that I would argue is that he is maybe the best person in the world on the planet to talk about what's going on in college hoops right now. So for people who don't know, I'm going to give you a quick rundown of who he is, what his background is. Again, for people who do not know, I will then get into Kerry Blackshear, I'll get into Jordan Brown, and then I will get to the interview with Sonny Vaccaro. But Sonny Vaccaro was the guy many years ago, in the 70s, he was the first person to get shoe companies involved in college basketball. And it wasn't this big crazy thing that it is now. He actually explains a story later on. He, he started an all-star game in the 60s, uh, uh, basically the, the precursor to the McDonald's All-American game. He got to know college coaches, and Nike came to him and basically said, hey, how do we get more involved in the basketball market? And Sonny Vaccaro said, well, you got to get the college coaches involved. And so the, the, what we have today with all of these programs having $100, $200 million contracts with Adidas and Nike and Under Armour, it all started with Sonny Vaccaro back in the 70s. And again, he tells the story. I literally just went to UNLV and talked to Jerry Tarkanian. He was my friend. I went to George, Georgetown, talked to John Thompson. He was my friend. It wasn't this big grand thing. There weren't press conferences to announce it. I didn't have to talk with the athletic director or the school president. I just went, we signed a contract, and the schools got free Nikes. And so that evolved into what became the FBI trial. And obviously, Sonny Vaccaro had a lot to say, a lot of very interesting things to say about the state of college basketball, about the fact that uh, we now have college assistant coaches going to jail over their involvement with these shoe companies. So he's an incredible guest. By the way, he also helped Brandon Jennings get to Europe a decade ago. So we talk about RJ Hampton. We talk about Zion Williamson. We don't always agree on the amateurism model in college basketball, but I found him to be an unbelievable guest. I found the conversation to be unbelievably informative, and I am so grateful that he joined this show. 
and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So stick around. That's the back end of this show. I will try to make the front, the front end pretty quick because Sonny and I went for about 45 minutes, and so I want to kind of open up the floor to him, but then I also, there's just not that much to talk about, right? So we're going to get into Kerry Blackshear, who just hours after I said I thought it came down to Florida and uh, Kentucky for his services announced that he's taking a, a visit to Arkansas. I'll tell you what I heard about that visit to Arkansas. And then another transfer, Jordan Brown committed to Arizona. I'll tell you why this is big, why it's big for Nevada, why I think it's actually huge for Arizona and the future of that program. And I know Arizona is kind of one of those programs right now. You can't really talk about them because Sean Miller. Well, I'm going to talk about them because I respect, well, there's a lot to get into, so we'll get into all of it. Before I do, I want to please remind you, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Thousands of you listen every week. I appreciate every single one of you. The last couple weeks, maybe more than ever, I've gotten feedback on this show, how much you enjoy the show, my honesty, my insight, but please make sure you're subscribed to this show. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it if you have an Android Subscribe on the Podcast Addict app. That is where I listen to all my shows, all my podcasts, not only this show, and yes, I am that loser that listens to my own podcast. So make sure you subscribe to iTunes, Podcast Addict. You can do it on TuneIn Radio. You can do it on Pod Paradise. Wherever you listen to your podcast, this show is basically available. Also, please make sure to rate and review the show. Five stars are encouraged. Five stars are welcomed. Uh, it's like Uber, right? I say it all the time. It's Uber. Just get, get, give me five stars. I don't even, I think you like me, but if you don't, still give me five stars. Make sure to rate and review this show. Also, make sure to follow on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. And finally, if you have questions for me, we'll probably do Q&A at the end of this week. So Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. It can be on college hoops. It can be on the NBA playoffs, college football. Uh, the NBA draft is coming up. A lot of you guys have had some NBA draft questions. So whatever you want to talk about, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, so let's get into it. Uh, Sonny Vaccaro coming up. But in the meantime, I think this is just going to become a thing, guys. We got to talk a little Kerry Blackshear because if you listen to last episode, and if you don't, I still encourage you to go subscribe or go listen to last episode because I think there was a lot of really valuable information in there. But if you listen to the show, I did say that I think ultimately it's going to come down to Florida or Kentucky for his services. And what I basically said was, Florida and Kentucky are essentially selling the same thing, but with a different path, right? Both of them are, we're the best place to prepare you for the NBA, with Kentucky's argument being, this is the biggest stage in college basketball, we can't promise you playing time, we can't promise you this, we can't promise you that, but you're going to be on national TV every single night, you're going to practice against elite players every single day, we have NBA scouts at every single thing we do, we have NBA scouts at our morning walkthroughs, we have NBA scouts at our morning breakfasts, like, like, there's no bigger stage than Kentucky. And then I think on the flip side, Florida is also selling, hey, we can get you to the pros, but oh, by the way, you can do it as basically the star of this team. We have nobody down low. We have no size. We have a bunch of really good guards, but if you come here, you can be that centerpiece, that missing puzzle piece. You can get 20 shots a game. You can get 10, 15 boards a game. The world is your oyster. Gainesville is your oyster. Come hang out with us. That's what I said last episode. 
And then, of course, the second it gets released, we hear that Kerry Blackshear is taking an official visit to Arkansas, which he did on Friday. Uh, and I hear that he is supposed to take a visit to Tennessee. But this is what I, I told you guys. I did tell you guys this last week. And I think it's always important to remember this element, which is this. And it's very simple. It is that this is college recruiting. And anything can happen. And so I did say, even though I thought Kentucky and Florida were the front runners, I didn't necessarily believe that it was a done deal or it was going to get done right away or he was going to commit on the spot. And now, the more I talk to people, and I'll get into the Arkansas element of it in a minute, but I talked to a few people over the weekend, and I do think this recruitment is a little bit different than I thought it would be. And I say that in this sense. And by the way, for people, if you want to criticize me, go ahead and criticize me. What I think you do have to understand and my business, you know, we work based on information, and information's changing all the time. One day, uh, Jaden McDaniels is favored to go to Kentucky. The next day, he's favored to go to Washington. One day, RJ Hampton's going to go to Kansas. Next day, he's going pro. So, so I can only go off the information that I have. And when I talked to some people this weekend, they kind of told me, Torres, like, look, I don't think you're necessarily wrong with the Kentucky-Florida thing, but think about this recruitment in general. There's been really no rhyme or reason to anything, right? And it's been kind of weird and crazy from the beginning. And somebody told me, they said, dude, go back to the beginning. Do you remember what happened? He put his name in the transfer portal. If you'll remember, Florida visited with him. Then Kentucky visited with him. And then the family declined that Kentucky actually came. And then like a week later, they admitted, oh, no, Kentucky came. And so I think what you have is a few things here. I think you have a kid who is genuinely confused as to what he wants. I think you have a family that's just not used to all this recruiting attention. And so, as I've told you throughout the last couple weeks, this is a kid, let's not forget, he wasn't a highly coveted player coming out of high school. He wasn't a McDonald's All-American. He's not used to all this attention. He's not used to all these coaches blowing up his phone and making, he is literally the number one priority of five, six, seven, ten programs, whoever wants to get involved with him, he is their number one priority right now. And so I think what's happening is a lot is coming at him really fast, and I think he's having trouble, and I think to a degree the family's having trouble kind of figuring out everything that they want. And by the way, this isn't a criticism. This is just a reality. This is part of the deal is you go from kind of a, a low-rated recruit, a guy that didn't get a lot of attention coming out of high school, you develop into a really, really good player at Virginia Tech, and then a couple years later, you now are all of a sudden the number one grad transfer on the market, and let's not forget... We're coming down the home stretch here. I mean, this isn't April 11th. We're talking now, I'm recording here Sunday night, June 9th. If a team needs a big guy, like Kerry Blackshear's basically it. The NBA draft deadline's over. Every prominent high school player is committed, except for one who's, you know, has nothing to do with that. But like Everybody is committed. So Kerry Blackshear is the center of attention for Kentucky's recruitment, Florida's recruitment, Arizona, Michigan State, Tennessee, all these schools. He's their number one priority. And so I don't blame him for being a little bit confused. I don't blame him for being a little bit torn. I don't blame him for on one day saying this is what, or you know, the rumor is getting out that this is what I like. Then a day later, this is what I like. Then uh, a week later, I'm going to take a visit to this school. And so again, to backtrack, I don't know, like, like 
this is going to be a touch and go thing. I think we're going to get a lot of new information as things go on. And as I told you last week, like, I still think Kentucky and Florida might be in the driver's seat, but I think this is a deal where I do think, you know, and I said this last episode, so let me backtrack again, is I said, like, I think this is one where it's going to be drawn out, where I think he's going to take his time. And in hindsight, what I actually think it is, it's going to be totally scatterbrained, kind of like it was early on in the recruitment. Like I said, Kentucky comes and visits. The family denies they visited. Then they admit that he visited. And so, like, I think that's how this recruitment is going to go down. I think that we could get a decision. Look, I think we could get a decision on Monday. I think we could get a decision 10 days from now. I think he could decide to take a couple more visits. As a matter of fact, I would expect him to take a couple more visits. Uh, My buddy Jake Weingard reported this weekend that Tennessee is really trying to get him on campus. Obviously, I don't really see a scenario where he doesn't visit Kentucky. I don't know. It doesn't really make sense to me why he wouldn't at least consider Kentucky. Again, their pitch might not be the perfect pitch for him. They have a lot of good players in the front court with EJ Montgomery and Nick Richards back. But the point I'm trying to make is this thing is all over the place. Now, let's get into what I heard about Arkansas. Because I'll tell you, there were some warring, angry people in my Twitter timeline on Friday because you guys know that I obviously, I've covered Kentucky. I work for KSR at time, you know, one of my many jobs. Uh, I wrote a book on Kentucky basketball, but I also have had Eric Musselman on this podcast a lot. So I got Arkansas fans asking me. I got Kentucky fans asking me. Kentucky fans, are, is he really going to get on the must bus? Da, 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 da. So this is what I know about this weekend. I'll say this. I think the visit to Arkansas really impressed Kerry Blackshear. I've heard it from two different people that I trust that the Arkansas visit went really well. Now, I haven't been able to confirm exactly what Arkansas's pitch is because, as I told you, I know what Florida's pitch is. I know what Kentucky's pitch is. Heck, I know what uh, Texas A&M's pitch is as they try to stay involved with Buzz Williams. I don't really know what Arkansas's pitch is. My guess would be this is it would be very similar to Florida's. Florida's is, of course, we got Scotty Lewis, we got Trey Mann, we got Andrew Nembhard. We need you down low to be the guy. And if you come here, first of all, you're playing at home because he's from Florida. And, oh, by the way, you can take us from second, third, fourth best team in the SEC to a team that could potentially win the SEC, could potentially make the Final Four, could potentially make a real run. And I think Arkansas has a very similar pitch. If you look at Arkansas's roster, a lot of returning talent in the backcourt. Jalen Harris, their starting point guard, is back. Isaiah Joe, who you guys know if you follow me on Twitter, at Aaron underscore Torres, I love Isaiah Joe. He can get hot, he gets cold sometimes, but he is a wild shooter and scorer and a guy that I think can be like an all-SEC kind of player next year. But the one place they don't have a lot of returning experience is in the front court. Daniel Gafford, who, by the way, I interviewed for this podcast and the audio got screwed up so I couldn't run it. But Daniel Gafford is gone. And so now, like I said, you got Mason Jones, you got Jalen Harris, you got Isaiah Joe. You need that big guy down low. And so I do think what Arkansas is selling is kind of a hybrid, but similar to Florida. One, you come here. All of a sudden, we got the look of an NCAA tournament team. We got a couple grad transfers coming in. Arkansas, ironically, actually lost a grad transfer over the weekend. Uh, Isaiah Moss, who I think might end up at Kansas. But we have a couple grad transfers coming in. 
We got all these really good backcourt players. You're the guy. And then I think, oh, by the way, they're also selling Eric Musselman. Look, this guy has been in the NBA. He coached twice as a head coach in the NBA. He spent 20 years in that league. He knows what it takes to get to this level. And so what I heard was that he was really impressed by everything that Arkansas had, the facilities, the resources, things like that. My understanding is Corey Williams, who's an assistant coach at Arkansas, uh, has known Kerry Blackshear for years. Two different people kind of referenced that to me. Uh, Corey Williams was the head coach at Stetson uh, prior to becoming to Arkansas. Before that, he was an assistant at Florida State and started building that relationship with Kerry Blackshear five, six, seven years ago when he was an assistant. So Arkansas has kind of history on its side with Kerry Blackshear with the relationship with the assistant coach. Um, and they also have the Eric Musselman NBA uh, background. Now, is it enough? I don't know. Like I said, I think this is a totally wacky recruitment. This is one uh, for, for people who follow recruiting. I think it's going to be like Jaden McDaniels. I do. I think some days you're going to hear something positive. Some days you're going to hear something different. Some days you're going to hear he wants to add more visits. Some days you're going to hear he's ready to commit. And like, it wouldn't surprise me if he commits in the next couple days. It wouldn't surprise me if he decides to take two, three, four more visits, uh, whatever is allowed by the NCAA, because he is such a hot commodity. As I said, Jake Weingarten reporting that Tennessee's trying to get him on campus. Kentucky's trying to get him on campus. Michigan State's trying to get him on campus. Obviously, his former head coach at Texas A&M, Buzz Williams, is trying to get him on campus. So I think it's going to be one of those deals you just got to, you know, I hate to say it, just going to kind of have to refresh Twitter because everything that I'm hearing is that it, I don't want to say it could happen at any time, but I don't think anyone has a great feeling as of right now when I'm recording Sunday night as to when this kid may be close to being ready to make a decision. My guess would it, is that it would be sooner rather than later. But when I say sooner, I don't mean like Monday. I mean like end of this week, early next week. Like I don't think this is going to go on for another five weeks. Like I think Kerry Blackshear wants to know where he's going to go. I think he wants to get to campus. I think he wants to start working out with his team. Obviously, as things evolve, I will keep you updated there. All right, real quick, I did want to hit on one other piece of transfer news, and then we will get into the man, the myth, the legend, Sonny Vaccaro, who will join me to talk about all the things that are going on in, in college basketball, assistant coaches going to jail, um, head coaches in trouble, uh, RJ Hampton going to Australia. And what was fun about the interview, as I said, is that it wasn't always me just, yeah, yeah, no, you, you know, we, we had some disagreements, but it was, it was fun. He was obviously very respectful of me. I, I think I was very respectful of him. Um, you know, I have a little bit of a different view on kind of amateurism in college basketball, but it was an awesome interview. So stick around. I do very quickly want to talk about Jordan Brown because I think this is kind of a huge story and I'm going to explain why. I know most of you know the deal, but here's the deal with Jordan Brown. Former five-star player, former McDonald's All-American, ends up at Nevada last year. We just talked about Eric Musselman at, at Arkansas. Now uh, Eric Musselman leaves. Jordan Brown puts his name in the transfer portal. We basically don't – it was kind of like Kerry Blackshear, right? Only the difference was Kerry Blackshear actually entered the NBA draft. We don't really hear anything on Jordan Brown, like, at all. Like, Evan Daniels put out a report early on. Evan's the man. Evan crushes what he does. He says, yeah, we're looking at this school and that school. We've heard from this school and that school and this school and that school. And then you start to hear reports. So he visited St. Mary's. He visited Arizona State. He visited Arizona. But 
I can tell you definitively, and I've said it on my podcast, that like as of last week, as of like five days ago, I think the guys at Nevada, the, the new coaching staff, thought we're going to get this kid back. Like Steve Alford recruited Jordan Brown at UCLA. They had a good relationship. And what they were selling Jordan Brown on was like, dude, you're a McDonald's All-American. You wanted to be one and done. If you go somewhere else, you're going to have to sit out. And I was told that the staff felt good that they could get Jordan Brown back, but they really didn't know what he was thinking. Um, Steve Alford said as much on John Rothstein's podcast, and then completely out of the blue on Friday, Jordan Brown commits to Arizona. And so from the Nevada perspective, you just got to move on. I mean, there, there's nothing you can do, but I, I, I will give credit to Steve Alford for this. When he was named head coach, you can find the tweets. I said that I was hearing that a lot of players were going to transfer, that it could be a mass exodus. And to the credit of the players in the program, I think a lot of them rallied. I think a lot of them said, look, we're juniors, seniors, upperclassmen. We don't want to have to sit out another year. We have nowhere else to go. Let's make the most of this situation. Let's buy into what Coach Alfred is selling and do our best going into next year. So all the kind of prominent guys that they wanted to come back came back. Lindsey Drew, who's a fifth-year senior, came back. Jazz Johnson, who's a leading returning scorer, came back. Uh, another kid named Jalen Harris, not related to the kid that plays at Arkansas, came back, who I think might be uh, Nevada's best player last year. But they did lose Jordan Brown, and they did lose him to Arizona. And it wraps up what was an unbelievable offseason for Sean Miller. And I want to get into Arizona because I think something really interesting has happened at Arizona over the last year. Before I get into it, I will do the, 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 the pre-speech about Arizona that I always have to give because I know some of you get mad whenever I say nice things about Arizona, and I get it from your perspective. You're like, dude, there's been a lot of smoke around that program over the last couple of years. One of their assistant coaches is going to jail for breaking NCAA rules, Book Richardson, who I talked about on last show. There's been allegations of academic improprieties. There's been allegations of DeAndre Ayton. But you guys know where I stand on this. I've never once said that I believe that Sean Miller is salt of the earth, a great human being, has never broken an NCAA rule. And by the way, we have a lot of Arizona fans that listen to this show. A lot of them have reached out to me. They tell me the same thing. I've had two, three, four of them say, look, I don't think Sean Miller has never broken an NCAA rule. But Aaron, what I respect about you is you're the only person that doesn't just kind of indict him and demand that he be fired without any facts to back it up. And so that's my quick Sean Miller speech is if you don't like him because you're not an Arizona fan, that's fine. I, I, can't, I can't be mad at you for that. But I live in a world where I don't just say that a coach deserves to be fired because there's allegations against him. Because somebody says something on a wiretap when they don't know that they're being recorded. Because ESPN falsely reports something that ends up not being true. I live in a world where, yeah, if Sean Miller gets, gets caught you know, handing a, a, an envelope full of cash to a recruit, or Sean Miller tells one of his assistant coaches, make sure this kid gets paid or whatever, then yeah, get rid of him. Fire him. And you know who else feels that way? A lot of the Arizona fans that I talk to. But I also don't believe that if he hasn't been caught on a wiretap, if there is no proof that he was knowledgeable about players getting paid, like I don't think you can like fire him. And, and, and I use the example from the court system, right? Like somebody can accuse me today of 
oh, it, you know, I heard Aaron Torres did this, or I heard Aaron Torres do that. I heard Aaron Torres beat a guy up in the alley, and that guy's in the hospital now. Arrest him. And it's like, yeah, a, a, a police officer can come to my house and arrest me, but for me to go to jail, there's got to be some proof. There's got to be proof that, uh, you know, uh, that I did it, that I was involved. I have to be on video. I, there has to be DNA. Like, there's got to be something. And so that's my thing with Sean Miller. If you don't like him, okay, I get it. But I also think we have to live in a world where he didn't do anything wrong that we know of, that we have proof of, and he should be allowed to coach his team. Now let's get to Jordan Brown because this is why I think it's so important and this is why it's so fascinating to me. Sean Miller has absolutely killed it in the last year. And I know what you're thinking, oh, of course he cheated. No, I actually think Sean Miller, I think he had a pseudo epiphany, right? So all the guys that were accused of kind of taking stuff and all that, DeAndre Ayton, Alonzo Trier, Raleigh Alkins, when all that happened, you know, Sean Miller was kind of outspoken about, you know, I need to get back to my roots, man. Like, I built up this program on three-star guys that I developed the crap out of. And I look at Villanova and the success that they have developing guys. And I got to get, like, like I got to stop chasing these five-star McDonald's. Like, like I don't need the five-star McDonald's All-American from New York when I got a four-star in California that's dying to play for the University of Arizona. And so that, to me is what I've seen from Sean Miller over the last year. You know what I've seen from Sean Miller? He realized, you know what? Wait a second now. I don't coach at Washington State. I don't coach at Vandy. I don't coach at Mississippi State. I coach at Arizona. Arizona is, at least in Aaron Torres' opinion, in my opinion, it's one of the five, six, seven best jobs in the country. It is as close to Kansas and Kentucky and North Carolina and Duke on the West Coast as it gets. Arizona is one of those programs. Indiana, you name it. Whatever Sean Miller needs, you need a private jet, done. You need an upgrade in the facility, done. You need a budget for assistant coaches, done. It's a great job. And you know what else Arizona is? It's the dream school for a lot of kids on the West Coast. And so I think what Sean Miller realized like a year ago is, whether he was quote-unquote cheating to get players or not, whether he was involved in knowing about it, I think what he realized is this. Why am I going to go after, say, the number 10 ranked player in the country from New York who has no affiliation with Arizona, who do, this, he doesn't care about this place, he's just here to come for a year, have success, and go on to the next level. I can go get that guy, or... There's a kid that lives in California or there's a kid that lives in Phoenix or Vegas that grew up wanting to play at the University of Arizona. And maybe he's like the 45th ranked prospect. Maybe he's a three-year player instead of a one-year player. But that guy grew up dying to play for Arizona. And I can get that kid. I, I can get that kid. I, I don't have to send my assistant coaches on some sketchy mission to get Like, I can go get that guy. That guy wants to be here. And so I think what Sean Miller realizes, I work at a great program, and there are kids all over the West Coast who are dying to play here. And so I think what you've seen the last couple months, first of all, he locked in the number three recruiting class in the country. But if you look at it, and people's, I know what people are going to say. Arizona fans know. But everybody that doesn't know is going to say, well, he obviously cheated to get all those guys. Well, Nico Mannion, five-star point guard, Nico Mannion grew up in Arizona and grew up an Arizona Wildcats fan. 
loves Arizona. He's from Phoenix. He loves Arizona. He could have gone to Villanova. He could have gone to Duke. He didn't even visit those schools. He was so fired up to go to Arizona. Josh Green, another McDonald's All-American. He's from Australia, but when he moved to the States, he spent time in Arizona. Now he went to IMG for a year. But he is a guy who grew up wanting to be an Arizona Wildcat. And so Sean Miller said, I got these two guys in my backyard. I don't need to go chase every five-star, every corner of the country. If these kids want to come to Arizona, if they want to be Wildcats, let's get this done. And then, oh, by the way, on top of that, now you know what else he's saying? Again, I don't need to go chase every five-star because I'm getting the best West Coast kids that they all want to play at Arizona. And now let's bring in some big-time transfers into this program. And that's what he's done over the last couple weeks. Jamal Baker, formerly of Kentucky. Jordan Brown of Nevada. And I love the way that Sean Miller is building this program. Now, again, I know everyone, oh, how many Final Fours has he been to? I don't know, but he's been to four Elite Eights. He's, he's a good coach. Like, he's going to break through eventually. Um, but now, he's got the freshmen. He's got the stars. He's got Brandon Williams, a sophomore, who could be an all-Pac-12 kind of player. And he's also building for 2020-2021 when Jordan Brown and Jamal Baker get eligible. And one thing that I've said about transfers, and one reason why I love transfers, you don't think that Jordan Brown and Jamal Baker are going to make practice a living hell for all the guys on this team already? You don't think they're going to get better? You don't think they're going to make the guys on this roster better? You don't think Nico Manning and Josh Green and Chase Jeter and Brandon Williams, you don't think those guys are going to get better by playing against Jordan Brown and, and Jamal Baker every day in practice? And then you don't think Jamal Baker and uh, Jordan Brown are going to get better coming into the 2020-2021 season by having set out and played at Arizona? And so I don't want to belabor the point. I don't want to keep going back to Sean Miller, what he may or may not have done or may or may not have known. But I love that, and it may have taken, by the way, it may have taken the FBI knocking on his door. It may have taken the FBI, unfortunately, arresting one of his assistant coaches who, as I said on the last episode, it's absurd that that guy's going to jail. But it may have taken that for Sean Miller to realize, what am I doing? I'm at Arizona. I got kids that would kill themselves to come play here kill themselves and that's what he started to do about a year ago as I said Brandon Williams uh, four-star player out of California could have gone just about anywhere in the country wanted dying to come to Arizona now he's going to be a sophomore he's going to step into a leadership role same with Nico Manny and Josh Green as freshmen and now you're building for the future with Jordan Brown and Jamal Baker so I love what Arizona's doing I'm very interested to see what Kerry Blackshear is and I think it's time to get to Sonny Vaccaro so for those of you who have made it to this point, I want to thank you for listening. I want to remind you, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Do it on iTunes. Do it on Podcast Addict. You can do it on Podbean. You can do it on TuneIn Radio. If you have questions for me, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Make sure you're following on Instagram. A lot of new followers on Instagram as we kind of uh, I talked a lot about Jordan Brown and Kerry Blackshear on Friday, but make sure you're following the Instagram page. And now it is time for a guest that I think you guys are going to love. His name's Sonny Vaccaro, iconic name in the basketball world here to talk about the FBI trials. And of course, RJ Hampton going pro Zion Williamson as well. 
All right, and joining me on the phone now, he is what I believe to be one of the iconic names in all of basketball, specifically the grassroots portion of things. Here to talk about a lot of what has gone on in college hoops this offseason, Sonny Vaccaro is on the phone. Sonny, how are you doing today? Fine, fine. Waiting for the call and seeing if we can have a great interview, young fella. Well, thank you, Sonny. I appreciate it. I think it's going to be uh, a really good interview, and I'm actually just really genuinely curious to get your thoughts on a number of these topics that have kind of popped up over the last kind of four, five, six weeks here in the college basketball offseason. And, uh, you know, I want to get into some of these coaches now facing prison time uh, for their roles with, with NCAA violations and things of that nature. But as I kind of told you before we started this interview, I just want the, the audience that might not know your background really well to kind of just understand why you are someone that can speak so clearly to the problems that are kind of, uh, you know, I don't know about problems, but things that are going on in college hoops right now. And so I was doing some research before we got on the phone. You know, you are the guy that really uh, kind of came to Nike in the late 70s and Nike was trying to kind of get their footprint in the basketball game. And you kind of said to him, hey, let, let's get these coaches signed up. Let's get them involved. Uh, you know, we're not going to force them to uh, have their players wear our shoes, but, but the coaches can kind of work with Nike. Uh, if the players choose to wear the free shoes, they can. Uh, so uh, that's kind of a very brief history, but, but can you just kind of explain how your kind of role in basketball really started at that point? Well, my role in basketball started, Aaron, in 1964-65 when I was a 24-year-old kid in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. By thinking and, and, and uh, doing the first All-American All-Star basketball game that ever wow. was done in America or any place in the world, really. It was called the Dapper Dan Round Ball Classic. And it was a, a thought of mine and a, a young friend of mine growing up in Pittsburgh to bring the best players in America together in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you know, into a new arena, uh, you know, called the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And at that time, you know, high school basketball, you know, college basketball, summers, whatever you were to think, even the NBA was like the fourth sport in the world. I mean, as far as, you know, you know, kids playing and whatever. And what I mean is, you know, especially in West Pennsylvania, football was the premier sport and Pittsburgh, you know, where they had the Pirates and baseball was maybe the pop, most popular at that time. And then you always had, you know, soccer in the whole world. And you had, you know, basketball, uh, which you played in the wintertime before, you know, football and baseball, really. I mean, in the middle of football and baseball. So to say that I went to Nike as, uh, you know, some yeah. sort of revolutionary brought new ideas to basketball doesn't do the term uh, of what, what, how basketball is involved in, into sure. a corporate entity. Now, that's, that's when it changed when Nike uh, was a fledgling company uh, called Blue Ribbon Sports in the you know, late 60s, early 70s, and they were mostly a running you know, shoe because that was, uh, the, the owner of Blue Ribbon Sports was now Nike, Phil Knight, and all his wives, and uh, he he uh, was making tennis shoes, and they were basically not even called anything other than tennis shoes and for everyone to wear. You know, basketball player wearing tennis track and field guys wore them. Uh, you wore them around, you know, the the high school and you know, in, in most of especially in the East, you wore a tennis shoe for everything. So what happened was through my introduction to knowing all the best high school players in the world, and again for your audience, thirteen years before the McDonald's game even existed. Okay. 13 years, just so, you know, that's the public should know. It was the first game, and 
and I was 24 years old, and my buddy, Patricio, you know, my boyhood buddy, you know, we conceived this and promoted it. So now I evolved into, you know, somebody that knew a little bit about that, you know, that world, basketball world. Um, and I got involved, you know, representing and helping kids go to the ABA, which was a, a uh, you know, after the NBA wasn't existing, the ABA came along and they allowed, you know, they started a new league. And so there were two leagues in professional basketball. And then the only other league you had where it wasn't a league, it was one of the greatest, you know, marketing tools and one of the greatest teams ever, a Harlem Grove Trotter. So basketball was a, was not a major entity when my world began in sports. So, you know, to make, you know, catch up with reality then of Nike, uh, I convinced them that if they wanted to sell tennis shoes, which were basketball shoes, they should pay coaches. So that's where my my step into another world um, from whatever was considered to be the, the non-sport to helping create basketball become the giant it is today uh, was started in high school basketball, and then it went to college, and then it evolved into pros. So that's, that's how it began. Really quick, just out of curiosity, you mentioned that basketball wasn't nearly the entity that it is now the billion you know multi-billion dollar uh entity that it is at all levels what was it about the high school all-star game that made you want to bring it to pittsburgh i mean clearly you had a passion for the sport but like you said it wasn't this global entity that it is now what made you want to start that game i lived in pittsburgh (laughs) and i you know uh, that, that that's why and i used to go around uh I was kept on scholarship at uh, Youngstown State University. Uh, they gave me a football scholarship, and I couldn't. I got hurt, and I couldn't play. Mm-hmm. And so the basketball coach sort of was the assistant football coach. He liked my energy, and he said they would keep me on scholarship. And this was nineteen, you know, you know, fifty-eight because I had gone to a junior college prior to that. And then, so by helping the basketball coach get some kids from Pittsburgh to go to Youngstown State to play basketball. I had to start organizing my own, what were then known as just, you know, the, the post high school season going to, you know, around the state of Pennsylvania, Ohio, New York, uh, New Jersey. High school kids, you know, summer basketball certainly started evolving at that point in time. So that, that's, that's, you know, got involved. I got involved because I kept my scholarship and they didn't, you know, drop me and I was able to graduate from college. But so basketball was not a main, Thing in my life, I was, I guess, pretty good in football and baseball at that time, and uh, but basketball would have been my last. So I said Pittsburgh because the, the young man I told you about, named Pat Caesar, um, was one year older than me. We grew up actually living in his grandparents' uh, home uh, when I was a child, and um, he grew up to be a famous rock and roll promoter. He okay. was sort of like what Bill Graham was to the West Coast, Pat was to the East Coast. And but he was part a very small part of bringing the Beatles to Pittsburgh in okay. 1964. So so he knew promotions and all that, and that's why we got were able to get into the Civic Arena. And once said we wouldn't sell a ticket, we sold a lot of tickets. So that's how it evolved. It evolved by happenstances. My life has evolved by happenstance. I didn't know what I was doing until I did it. Very good. And so. 
real quick, you go on the road, and, and we're going to get into how it all evolved into what it is now. But the reaction was like, and it's, and I bring this up only because we now live in a world where a Louisville or a Kansas signs a hundred fifty million two hundred dollar deal, two hundred million dollar deal. Excuse me. But my understanding is reading some stuff. There were coaches that literally didn't believe that you were going to pay them just to wear their shoes. Is that my understanding correct? I, I paid them just to wear the shoes. They weren't only like to believe it was a fact. I mean, if you wore our shoes, and I went to the college coaches because I knew all these people because of the All-Star game in Pittsburgh. Sure. They would all come to my All-Star game. I mentioned the first game we ever had. There were 10,336 seats wow. you know, available in the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh, and we sold every one of them. Wow. This was like in the first year of the Civic Arena, just so you understand. So the game was a something that you know you can't explain. Why in the hell would they go to a high school all-star game in Pittsburgh? Because we certainly weren't known for Pittsburgh. In fact, no one was known for anything. You know, black kids were going to black universities. Uh, black kids were playing in segregated schools. I mean, so the whole, you know, phenom of what happened was uh, history never portrayed it correctly in the sense that uh, what, what we see now is not what it was. I mean, so there was segregation in basketball. Uh, there were only a certain amount of kids that could play on a team, whether it be professional or college or, or any darn thing, okay? So, but the Dapper Dan sort of, you know, you know broke all barriers. I mean, so when, when that happened, uh, the only way I could see helping Nike would be to so pay the coaches. Coaches at that time... No matter what you hear today, and your guys getting six, seven million dollars, you know. Well, I remember they were getting, you know, six thousand dollars a year or ten thousand dollars a year, and I was giving them that towards the damn shoes. So that's sort of what happened. So they wore the shoes. We gave the shoes to the schools for nothing, plus sweatsuits and you know everything else that kids never had, and t-shirts for the coaches' camps. So, you know, I didn't go to the new athletic director and hope president of anybody. I made a deal with, you know, Jerry Tarkanian. I made a deal with John Thompson. I made a deal with everyone I signed. I made the deal personally with the coach. Very good. I, I won't ask you to go through your entire biography, but what I will ask you to do is, obviously, when you start that, as you said, your, your life, you know, it happened as it happened, and there weren't necessarily plans. Now we look at 2019 college sports, this billion-dollar enterprise, all this and that. What did you make of, of really this entire FBI trial, but really culminating this past week with two assistant coaches? And I know they weren't directly involved with, with the shoe companies, but Rick Pitino loses his job over you know shoe companies behind the scenes helping get a kid to a certain school. And now we have two assistant coaches that were working with agents and, and, and business people that are now looking at jail time uh, over there, kind of basically breaking NCAA rules. What, what did I see when it first happened a couple of years ago? And what do I think today after some of these kids have been sentenced? I mean, I thought it was the most ridiculous law case I've ever seen in my life. I think these kids, and I was sad to see them since I knew most of them and I know most of them. Sure. I, I thought what they did was, you know, I wish they wouldn't have done it, but they certainly didn't break any law. They may have broken what they were called rules in the subway which perpetrated into the myth that somehow the schools and the shoe companies got screwed and the, <laughs> yeah. you know, college players. I know there's a kid, you know, Tony Bland, who I know because I knew him from high school and played my game probably and went to my camps. And, you know, and I, I know all the kids that got, you know, I think most of the guys that got implicated in this thing, I do know, you know, Chuck Person's brother, you know, Wesley Person. I mean, I know all these guys. So now you're, they're, they're going to prison. 
Well, it's, it's, it's absolutely ludicrous. I mean, it's that they're going to prison. The day break rules. And, well, the NCAA breaks rules by the very fact that they're called the NCAA National Athletes Amateur Athletic Association. I mean, there's no amateurism at all in whatever they're defining here. And I don't know what the government is doing or whatever, but I guess they had to do something. But the very fact that judges and the juries in these cases gave these kids almost as light a sentence as you could for having a supposedly criminal offense. I mean, that's that pretty much showed that there weren't a lot of people, even on the jury, you know, that believed that they broke a law. I mean, uh, and if you say, you know, if you want to go to the other side of the fence, which you probably get into, and you won't, I don't know. But, but my point is, the, the rules that they broke were made by, you know, these people, you know, in the NCAA and their affiliates being, you know, the, the coaches and the board. To, I mean, I don't want to go through that BS, you know, personally. Um, but, but, but I don't know what law was ever broken. I know some of these kids have got, I've talked to some of them after the fact. I talked to some of, some of their attorneys before the fact. Uh, they've called me for whatever advice I may or may not have been able to give to them. But I just think it's, it's, it's a very sense of like, uh, in the society which we live in now, uh, and I'm not going to get into, you know, religion and politics and all that stuff, but you can almost in, inspect anything that's happening in, in, in the world. And we'll stay in America, so I don't want to involve the world, but the world, because the world, you know, sports is, you know, you can't turn around and you get corruption everywhere in the world in soccer, which is probably the most popular thing. I mean, everybody's making a buck except the players or the athletes, where the, the sinful one is. Basically, everyone's making a buck except people they portray to be amateurs. Uh, and, and that's the NCAA. So, seeing all that, I, I don't know where or what I could say other than. Some rules were broken that were obviously broken, and I don't understand, and I know all the head coaches involved and all the universities involved. I don't understand how something of this magnitude, the magnitude perpetrated by the federal government, you know, indicted these kids. And they, they, they're, you know, the biggest, you know, the biggest investigators in our country who should be paying attention to what's happening in our country and not what the hell's happening to uh, uh, some school that they said got defrauded by an individual who gave somebody money when the bare basis of the fact was the shoe company and the university. When I told you a while ago in this interview that when I paid the first coaches, I basically paid them directly and no shoe company or, I mean, and no, no university, no athletic director, no president, everyone not say, Mr. Fatara, what the hell are you doing? They let me pay their coaches because they weren't paying them enough. I mean, so to me, and you asked me a question 10, 15 minutes ago, I'm probably the only man on earth that's gone through this from, from what we consider the beginning, the 50s to where we are today. Sure. And this thing today, this thing today is... It's, it's, you know, they broke rules and I wish they would know And they said, I know these kids, I knew the people involved more intimately than most of them got involved on the DS side of the guys But they made a contract. The university and the shoe company made a contract and the shoe and the company made a contract with the coaches. And there was one obligation that they all wanted to be done here. Win games. They wanted to win games. Yeah. Yeah, they want to win games and be on television and sell products. I mean, what is so hard about that to understand? And they put these kids in jail, even if they're only going for six days or some guy's got, you know, probation, you know, that's that sort of thing, not the same time. They still got a felony attendance to do the thing. 
in the crazy world we live in, we've seen, I've seen, you know, kids get put in jail for smoking marijuana for 199,000 years. I mean, you know, it's absolutely ludicrous you know, that this, this, this particular thing happened that these kids are going to jail. And I'm watching, I'm watching universities, great universities, all of that, and they are. Uh, and they are great universities if they can get away from basically what they're doing with their sports programs because you can't equate a great university, you know, uh, has uh, the school of engineering, the school of medicine, the school of whatever. I mean, you know, and, and saving lives and making, you know, but these people, universities are and have been and always will be a major front for everyone in America to better their lives. And we all strive for it, especially the era I came from when no one was going to college. Sure. So I, I can't sit here and say that, but they sold their souls when they made sports bigger than the university. And that's what they did. And that's exactly what I was going to ask. And, and I already know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you this anyway. Uh, unless these schools are willing to give up the $100 million, $200 million contracts, like there's no way to get this... Um, you know, to get this uh, this this genie back in the bottle, right? Because, you know, when all this stuff happened, you know, something people ask me, well, what do we need to do to fix this? And I said, well, look, as long as coaches are getting paid, uh, you know, as you alluded to, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine million dollars a year, there's always going to be guys that, that strive to reach that level and guys on that level that want to stay at that level. And so what I've said, and please tell me if I'm wrong or if you disagree, but as long as we're willing to pay coaches that money, as long as the schools are willing to take the $150, $200 million from Adidas or Nike or whoever, fill in the blank, like I, I don't know how this gets better or cleaned up or I don't, I don't even know what the definition of cleaned up would be, but as sad as this was – uh, seeing guys, and I know a few of them as well that have been involved in this mess, I don't see any of this kind of quote-unquote getting better just because the FBI got involved. Well, I don't know. It can't get better because it's not going to change. I mean, yep. you know, the schools are still making new deals. I mean, you know, and I'm not opposed to that. I'm not opposed to coaches getting paid from the two companies since I was the guy that thought the idea. I'm not a school using the money to do whatever the hell they want with it. I'm not opposed to anybody doing business. What I'm opposed to is by the very nature of the circumstances in what they call amateur athletics within the NCAA structure. It's the only one that's important here is what? The players. The players. The only, if the players weren't forced to do something, but no one forces anybody, so I'll say that. But if they would have come to their senses a long time ago, you know, way before the O'Bannon case started, like 10 years ago, 20, 50, you know, years ago, maybe if someone would have just said when Walter Byers start changing the rules because he knew that there was a, you know, the genie was in there, okay, that was, that, that genie was going to come out of that box, and the genie was the athletes, and then he started the mythology of make them amateurs. Well, they were playing ball for 50 years before, before they even conceived that they were, you know, not allowed to do anything because... Anybody with common sense and an honest mind will just tell you the whole the whole system was corrupt for the first fifty years of what what we thought college sports was. I mean, I'm from Pittsburgh. I can remember all the scandals. I can remember when the guys who were working the steel mill in the Westinghouse and they'd go there after school, after work job would be play college football for University of Pittsburgh or other some university. I mean, and then they then they then they went around and they they they, they destroyed. One of the greatest human beings, athletic wise, in the world, would have to be an Indian guy named Jim Thorpe, 
who was one of the greatest athletes ever lived, and they said that he played baseball and couldn't play basketball. Some goddamn thing, I don't know. But they started messing. But Walter Byers and all his co-conspirators in the 60s started changing the rules. There used to be four-year scholarships. There used to be all these things. I don't want to get into that in your program. that has been said. But they, they made the rules. You can't take anything. They made the rules that you, you know, that the athlete couldn't get anything. They made the rules that, you know, whatever it is, uh, whoever heard of, what, well, you have to have a grade average. I mean, I mean, I was one of those kids, you know, when even when I was recruited, probably took what we, we would call when I was being recruited, uh, in, in that world, you know, basket weaving for a class. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you, you went to school and there, the classes were just names. I mean, uh, you know, in education, everybody went into education. Uh, we didn't do anything else. Isn't that ironic? I mean, uh, not everybody, but a lot of them. You know, and the only ones that sort of held their head high, what would supposedly be the standard of what all athletes would be, would be, you know, the Ivy League, because they're not even going to give scholarships and all that stuff. So I don't want to belittle what's happened, you know, in your eyes right now, because it did happen. But what I want to say, the NCAA has been mindless since Walter Byers changed the rules in the 70s to hurt the athlete. And they were basically afraid, and I'll say in your program, because in the 60s and 70s, it was the most tumultuous years, at least because I was growing up in those years. I wasn't, I wasn't a child then, but I knew, I do know, remember, you know, the, you know, the revolution, you know, the Black Revolution, the Black Panthers. Uh, I remember Tommy and John, you know, at the podium at the Olympic Games in Mexico City and seeing that picture. And even today, at 80 years old, I still I still talk to John Carlos. These things were in my mind. I wasn't part of that world for different reasons, but I wasn't. But I was not ignorant of that world. And I watched this. I watched it, you know, evolve into the world you live in 2019. And I read where Jimmy Joe is going to go to prison for taking money. Wow. And another kid, you know, they take his eligibility away so he can't play. Like, the eligibility is like second. I mean, it's like a, you know, wisdom from God. You know, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that. Well, thou, thou shalt not do anything except give me your, your name, your image, your likeness, and I will use you as I want to. You may never have that back again. Moses didn't do that. He ended up where he did that. That's a great point. Do you, uh, let me, so... I think this is a good place to transition to the other kind of recent news, which is RJ Hampton, a kid from Texas. Uh, you know, I think anybody listening to this interview kind of knows who he is, but really right. talented young player, uh, basically deciding to buck the system. And, and again, you're an incredible person to talk to about this. You uh, helped Brandon Jennings early in his process. He was kind of the first player of the quote unquote one and done era to go play overseas. Um, you know, first of all, your, your thoughts on R.J. Hampton, but if you want to get into your relationship with Brandon at the time, because, again, you were the guy, and, and from reading today, I learned that you had been for a couple years looking for a guy to, to maybe consider going playing professionally somewhere else, and Brandon kind of became that first guy. And that was basically it. I mean, Brandon preceded O'Bannon by three years. The world thinks that Senator Carroll, you know, you know, we were going to go through the court. I never would think of that. Brandon, I knew him because he went to my camps and uh, he, he didn't even, I left, you know, uh, that world, my all-star games and all that sort of stuff, that ground ball classic, you know, before Brandon was even a senior in high school. But I'm the one that he turned to 
and I helped him go to Italy, and I got him a contract. And uh, you know, and I thought maybe more kids would do that. And Jeremy Tyler did it, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't as fortunate as Brandon because he wasn't as driven as Brandon. And he did, you know, he did end up getting drafted, you know, in the in the, in the uh, San Francisco Forty Nine or Golden uh, State Warriors. Paid, and Jerry West was like on advisory. I mean, Jeremy was very talented. He just was very. Whatever he was, I have no idea. But but I was close to Jeremy too. Okay. Brandon made it. Jeremy didn't. Now you got the kid now doing it. And I understand some other kids may think of doing. It. We had a kid that sat out last year. Just you know, getting drafted by the NBA this year. We have individuals do this, and, and just to relate to something that speaks here, I I admire the kids that do it. I wish they wouldn't have to do it. I wish they'd have been able to be just come and get drafted and earn your money and do whatever. I, I wish they would have to go to Europe or anywhere else. I wish they would stay here. But they can't, so that's what they're doing. So I don't know him, but I admire what he's trying to do. I admire anyone that tries to you know, better himself and get himself more prepared than what he and his family believe that they should do. And the, 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 the world we live in, Brandon went through all kind of BS. I mean, they're ridiculed. They can't win up. He did pretty well. Went in the lottery until he got injured. He was a pretty damn good NBA player. He lasted nine years in the league, and that's an unbelievable games and feats and you know whatever his career would have gone on. Uh, but but my my hero is Ben Simmons. I mean, because he was the first one of greatness, and when I mean physical greatness, he went to a university, LSU, I believe, that called it for what it was, and on a national TV show while he was still at LSU, career just finished or whatever, but. Ben was very honest about what the whole system was, and very few kids are able to do that because they, they are now going to the next level and they're going to get drafted. And they don't want people to think bad of them because they're some sort of revolutionary. You know, the very fact that that there are stipulations and when you can earn a living, when everyone around you in this world is able to earn a living, and in basketball and football are the only ones that can't. Yeah, it's very fact it's the same organization that makes it verboten for these kids to do these things. You know, allows other kids to go swimming and go play tennis and go. I mean, I don't want to go to that. That story's been twelve thousand dollars. But stick on what you say about the young man is doing now. Nothing but admiration. Nothing. You know, I, I, you know, good. I mean, it's sinful that he had to do it this way. It's sinful on the part of the hypocrisy of what we call amateur sports. So I don't know if that satisfies your answer. I, I would support him and I would support all of them, but very few have the strength to do what he's doing, just like Brandon. Very few had strength to do what Brandon Jennings did. And, you know, and, and these are things. But the funny thing here is, and no one wants to touch it, some of the greatest players in the world never played college basketball. Sure. Never. They went right, right. I mean, and no one. No one ever used that as the gauge. And they'll always bring up a couple of kids that didn't make it. Well, really, that's true. I mean, which one of the, which one of the thousand guys playing, you know, even the hundreds of guys playing in today's uh, NBA finals or this month, and there's a time for the other players by the time, were guys who had won sandwiches that never really was the star. They got drafted. They were free agents. I mean, I mean, I can go on for you know, years on kids who, weren't even drafted, or if they were drafted, they were drafted in the second or third round, you know, in other years. So th- there's no magic behind the scouting and what coaches can do. And if you really ask me, you know, what I've said for about it, I think there's no connection between college basketball and pro basketball. The games are yeah. two different things. I think coaches are good coaches on every level. 
they coach to what their game is, not to what you know they want the game to be. This is the way pros are playing. This is the way college amateurs play. They're, they're moving to the point line back. Oh, my God. Look what they're doing. I mean, this is the silliest thing I've ever heard in my life. What the hell is that got to do with whether he's going to do it when he's next year or whatever? It didn't stop Kobe or it didn't stop Kevin Durant or all these other guys that had one year of school or no years of school. I mean, I mean, God. And then it doesn't stop, stop kids who had who went four years of school like Draymond Green, what the hell? Did Draymond Green get all of a sudden get better? I mean, after four years? I mean, well, for three and a half, three and a half years, no one knew he was good because they still drafted him in the second round. People don't want to say that. And, I mean, they still went in the second round. So he was there four years at Michigan State. Tom Izzo was a great college basketball coach. But they had nothing to do with his progress. They couldn't see his talent then. They finally got to see it. But there are 50 Draymond Greens. It, there's no connection. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a ruthless system that penalizes the athlete to be great, and I'm still waiting for somebody to tell me why other sports can do whatever they can do. And the reason I know, and they won't admit to it, is because football and basketball support the whole goddamn rotten amateur system. I don't think you're wrong on anything on that. Let me ask you one question, because I, I personally don't have as much of a problem with the, the rules as they are. I, you know, to me... I do see the benefit of, say, a Zion, uh, you know, making an, you know, he made a lot of money even though he didn't make money by being at Duke. You, you brought up Jeremy Tyler and you brought up that he just didn't have the work ethic of Brandon Jennings and everybody else. I know it's not mm -hmm. the NBA's job to protect kids from themselves and all that, but you've been around kids your whole life and, and some of them are Kobe Bryant and they, they act like they're 35 when they're 18 and some of them are 18 and they act like they're 14. So, I, I don't want to say that we should put rules on guys, but, but I also, at some points, I do feel like the powers that be, people in the media like myself that say, oh, everyone should be able to go. Like they, you know, I'm on these college campuses, you know, all year long, and I see that a lot of these kids are kids and don't realize kind of the grown man professional aspect of the NBA. Um, I just want your opinion on that. You know, we can disagree. I obviously totally respect your opinion, but I'm just curious on that aspect of it, of, the fact that there are a lot of kids that I think w would go, will go in the future uh, that really have no idea what they're getting themselves into. I don't think it's your opinion to make a judgment on something. Sure. That's what I think of what you think, but I think you're like others. This is not to mean to you, young fellow. No, it's okay. What right, do you, what right do you have to tell me what I can and can't do? That's what I argue about. You, can have, you may be right in your assumptions, Mm -hmm. But what's that have to do with me, the individual? I, I want to do this. Sure. Why should you have some fabricated rule, not you particularly, but the system, that I can't earn a living rule? I mean, I know I know one thing. I, you could go work in the steel mill. You could go work in a coal mine like my generation of kids did, my family did, when you're 15 years old or 16 years old. I mean, we can go to war. I watched, I watched, I don't want to hear the saddest example in the world about going to war at 18 years old and some kids lying to get in there. And then I get the purest dummy that, well, they're not ready for the NBA or NFL. Well, they weren't ready for war either. They weren't ready for that either. So, and I'm, and you're running around in a society today that we have the leaders of, the, of our world, you know, making judgments on what they would have done. Well, it's funny. I always see, I don't always. Sometimes I've seen, whether it's a religious world or a political world or a social world, I honestly believe that there's a separation 
that exists in America that the mindset is from the people who have very seldom understand the people who do not, do not have. And I always, I, I, I've always believed, so it's not something I'm, I'm speaking of Sonny Vaccaro, obviously, because I witnessed it. I've always believed that no one has the right to tell me what to do, sure. except if you, by your own force of opinion or your own force of, you know, uh, what you own or control, you can hire me for a job or you can't hire me for a job. Mm-hmm. You can give a woman a promotion or you can't because it's your company. But what we basically have is you sit on the right-hand side, I sit on the left-hand side. That's what you do. And it, when, it, when, it, when it's available for you, the outside world, to judge me, the inside world, I say to you, that's the very essence of the country that we're supposed to be living in, the freedom to do what we want to do. So the next time, and, and if not, Aaron, I never met you, and I respect what you're doing. And you're obviously young, and, and I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that you're, you're young and you're thinking you have a, a radio show or a podcast. I don't know who does or does not listen. You've got one or two, but 10 million. I have no idea. But if you were doing a private conversation with me, I'd say the same thing. You don't have the right. You can think you want to do that, but who are you to say? You're prote- are you protecting them from what? What they're going to run into? Well, damn, the most most educated human beings in the world. You know, the, the guys who made millions of dollars on Wall Street and all that, who went to all these greatest colleges in the world, they turned out to be Bernie Madoff. I mean, sure. they cheated everybody. Well, why don't why we stop Bernie Madoff? Well, why don't we do that? Why don't we stop all these other people? And why do we, in the society, watch all the, all the, all the mental crucifixion you have of others with you? race, religion. But in college athletics, basically it it gives me the sense of imbalance in something in that the sports we're talking about, basically ninety percent of the of the opinions are are given by a society that has nothing to do with the world that these athletes lived in or live in. That doesn't mean that most minorities are poor or they don't have education. What it means is that you're subjecting them to your thoughts and others of their thoughts of allowing them to gain traction. I mean, just for the record, just for this record here, because I know it's current here. I was with somebody at breakfast this morning and, and we were talking about, you know, the athletes. And I, I only knew that went up for a very short period of time. And I hadn't seen him in years, but the period of time I knew him and his mother and his family was probably very important to him, and then helped Senator Carroll keep going through my life. It was a long time ago. But he's evolved into an unbelievable spokesperson on and off the basketball court. He was going to make well. himself one of the wealthiest people in the world. I mean, you know, and I watched Kobe, and you know, a lot of Kobe's antics or whatever that they were perceived by other people over the year, and he had some uh, blips on a radar screen and all that sort of stuff. He's evolved himself into, I've watched all this happen with young people. And I've watched young people because Kobe and LeBron came from two different um, family types, okay? LeBron's come from a struggling mom who raised everybody. And Kobe had mom and dad and sisters with him and all that sort of stuff. I can only say that because they all evolved and did pretty dang good for themselves. Pretty dang good for themselves. And so I say when well, people, and, and you made the statement, Aaron, that, you know, that I should, I don't, they're not ready yet. Uh, you know what? 
that's okay. Let me not be ready and let me not be able to do this. Then I'll go get a job somewhere else that I can do. But it's not for others to tell me that I can't earn. I don't, I don't believe no, I think it's it's a great counterpoint on your end, and, and it was just something I just wanted to to just get your perspective on. And the last, okay. I was going to say the last question I'll ask you. Uh, I just referenced him, Zion Williamson. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he is a guy that. 15, 20 years ago, would have gone straight out of high school, but he did go to Duke. Uh, I just want to know. I know it's a little different. You can't totally compare him because he had 40 games on TV as in his one season at Duke versus a LeBron or a Kobe that came straight out of high school. But, I mean, he is the next guy that, that you know, people believe can be, uh, you know, the next LeBron or Kobe or whatever. I just want, you know, just what you've seen from him as a fan or as somebody that watched him and, and kind of, you know, when's the last time you've seen somebody with this much hype coming into the league? I would, I would guess it's LeBron, but kind of curious because you would know better than anybody. It was LeBron. But you know what's funny? The only reason, you know, Zion is this much bigger, LeBron went into a world devoid of publicity. I mean, he basically made his publicity at the ABCD camp when he beat Lenny Cook. I yeah. mean, LeBron didn't have, he had a couple of high school games on television. You just admired everything about LeBron, and you basically knew his skills much more greater than you knew Zion's. 99% of the people think Zion's the greatest thing, and I think he's going to be one of the most remarkable individuals that ever lived. And if he continues doing what he's doing on the court that he did at Duke and in college that well, which is no guarantee, but he certainly has all the ability to do it. He'll be one of the most successful athletes of all time and certainly one of the most wealthiest. And I think he came from a, a good family of a, a mom and dad. A, a, his stepfather, Lee, I, I, knew, I knew his stepfather because he had brought kids to my camp in the, in the early 2000s and never met the people. But I think Zion benefited because he was forced to benefit, but didn't make it a better basketball player. I, mean, I don't know how you're going to, I don't know how you're going to equate when, when you see on, you know, next month, the three, the first 10 kids in the draft went to Duke and they didn't win the, the national championship. I mean, well, if they're as good as what they are and they are pretty goddamn good. then one of the greatest coaches ever lived is going to say, well, what happened? Because he got beat by basically an inferior team, uh, Who's going to have one guy maybe get drafted? I don't know idea, but I'm saying it all doesn't work out that way. And the problem with what the media has and some people have in the media, it's all equates to, you know, you getting the publicity. Well, I'll go back to this. No one ever had the advantage of watching LeBron do what he was doing unless you had to go to a summer event yep. or watch him play at, uh, in high school. I mean, so, so for others to, and you're not alone. He profited because of social media that he made possible. Mm-hmm. Zion had three million followers before he played at Duke. Do you understand that? He is one of those people. He reminds me very, very, very much of some of the young teenagers in music. I, I admire entertainers. Okay. I think entertainers are the greatest thing in the world because they've done more things when they made it than all the athletes put together in history. Some of these kids that do things, and you know, and I go back to. You know, things that I said on in that world, no one ever stopped Ariana Grande or Miley Cyrus or Lady Gaga or whoever it was, you know, that did all these things. And then you watch Beyonce to grow up to be the woman she is. I mean, Beyonce, in the world that we live in, is just as popular as Michelle Obama, who is obviously one of the brightest people in the, you know, sure. that I ever, I've ever met the, the lady, but I'm saying, but they came, they created these, these things that happen, and, and Jay Z 
and, and they didn't have all that education. Now, Michelle did, but Beyonce didn't. Yeah, you know, Miley was a wild child or whatever, but I know that she does a lot of things or whatever, being the Grande girl. So I say that's what Zion was plugged into that world. None of the people knew him, including me. Yep. When the dad called me his freshman year, I only I thought it was another dad calling Sonny Retire to tell him I got the greatest player since LeBron James. I've had a lot of that before <laughs> over the years call me. So, so that's my point here. So Zion is going into a world that already knows him. LeBron did, and certainly Kobe and Tracy and Kevin Garnett did not do. They they went from high school pre LeBron. Pre, that's when they, no, no one else bid for those kids in a shoe contract, just so we put that in place. And they all turned out pretty good. And McGrady didn't even play any sound high school thing. The guy wouldn't even let him come to my camp. I mean, so these things are, what we do is like what we do in politics, I'm afraid, is we only see or hear what they want you to hear. Sure. And then you have a following and you believe, okay? I believe that the world that I've lived in most of my childhood and my adult life, I was, I was a Y I was given a front seat in the evolution of the athlete. I agree. No, I agree, and and that's why I wanted to have you on. Uh, we've gone really long, uh, and I, I genuinely <laughs> no, I, and I listen. I could talk to you about this stuff for four more hours, but you're a busy man with a lot of things on your agenda. And so I do just want to very quickly thank you very much for the time. Thank you for sharing your insights because uh, you just said it. You've had a front row seat to all this, and there's nobody better to, to share their thoughts on where basketball was, where it is, where it's going, because it seems like it's changing day by day. Sonny, I, I want to genuinely thank you for the time. I really appreciate you making some time today. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.